Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the LeanZone.com podcast. Today, we're joined by Adam Mopsik, the CEO of Amicon, and we're going to talk about what to highlight in your next bid to make sure you get that job. How are you doing today, Adam? How are you doing, Alex? Thank you for having me. Doing great. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, Adam, how Amicon started and, and what you guys are doing. Yeah, so Amicon started as a, as a GC firm. So I'm a GC, we have a GC background, and we've been here, this is our 25th year here in South Florida. And we recognized pretty early on that there was just in South Florida, not a lot of leadership on projects, a lot of people not lo- just looking out for their own interests and not really the best interests of the project. And we formed our owner representation group um, for that reason, really to focus on client needs. And just without knowing how... Um, the demand would be for that service and it's just been incredible we've now grown to i believe to be the largest locally based owner representation firm there may be some other you know national firms here with smaller offices and presences but um you know the demand for that service is really uh it's been amazing and just, we've just had consistent growth uh since our inception and south florida is a, a hot market right now we when i talk to our clients there they tell us how busy they are i'm guessing you're seeing the same thing i think south florida is probably one of the best markets in the country right now. Um, just everybody wants to be here. Every national firm is trying to be here if they're not. And there's just so much flight coming here through COVID, tax reasons, weather, and you know, all the reasons we know. But yes, South Florida is a booming market right now. So in your role and, and, and Amicon generally, I'm guessing you, you see lots of, of bids, correct? Correct. So you can tell a good bid from a not so good bid probably pretty quickly. So let's break down um, what it is that separates a good bid um, from a bid that's going to get rejected. Let's call it out of hand, right? So there's there's the bids that get considered and there's probably the bids that just don't even get considered. So, so what are some of those criteria that you see? Well, I think it's more important to just break this down. It's a little bit more nuanced, right? It's, it's do you have the right field of contractors in the first place. And I think a lot of times what happens is people, you know, make the mistake or, you know, people, decision makers just make the mistake of looking at all numbers equally. And and they're really not. Um, We really try and pride ourselves on having a a wide portfolio of contractors who specialize in a certain market set. So if you came to us with a certain type of project, we wouldn't go to just any of our typical contractors, we would go to the right contractor specifically for that type of job. So I think it starts there of, of really knowing that your competitive field or the contractors who are competing for the project are the right fit in the first place. Right. Just well, so. Yeah. That, I mean, that definitely makes sense. Right. So getting a, um, a contractor that has the experience and, and let's talk about that. So is, is experience the number one factor that you consider? So when we recommend to our clients, typically we, so you have to understand the conditions, right? The current market conditions, as you referenced, um, everybody's busy. And more importantly, the subs are very busy. So it's hard to get numbers back. We, we recognize how much time it takes for GCs to put real bids together and, and accurate bids. And especially, you know, as busy as they are, they don't want to chase work. So we try and select the, the, the right type of contractor that we'd be happy to have do the work and really qualify them based on their experience, 
uh, their team, which is a huge component of this. And then there's obviously fees and general conditions and, you know, insurance and bonding and other things that go along with it. But um, our, the biggest part of our selection criteria is team. Well, obviously, once the other boxes are checked, uh, team and experience and bandwidth. So you might have a good firm with good experience, but for whatever reason right now, they don't have the team available. And, you know, we don't want to have a bad experience and we don't want the GC to have a bad experience. And we don't want a GC who's out there hiring in the market, somebody they don't know to staff a project that we're recommending them for. And, and so for us, number one is who's the proposed project team and what is their experience level? So how do you, how do you measure that? Um, if it's folks that you don't know, I mean, I, it, it, it's amazing to me. Um, you know, I was born and raised in Miami, uh, and it always seemed like a big place until I started doing this 20 some years ago and realized that South Florida construction is a really small market. So if you ran into a project team that you hadn't heard of before, how do you vet them? What, what, are, what are some of the things that you do to check them out? Well, it doesn't matter that we've heard of them before. I mean, if somebody has been with a firm for a long time, and it's, again, starts by hiring a reputable firm with a, you know, a, a principal that, you know, first of all, we like local firms. We like firms that are based here in South Florida. They understand the local market. We typically don't like, um, you know, recommending firms that are not from the local market. So that's number one. And if they have a team that's been here and, and done successful projects in South Florida with good industry references, and that could be from clients or architects or subcontractors or other people that they've that they've demonstrated an ability to perform. Um, and it doesn't have to be everyone. And they may have performed at other companies. We know that people move around. But um, it's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's part of our job, I think, to vet out the project teams and, and understand their experience. We don't want to just cross our fingers and hope that they're going to be successful here. So if I'm putting to, together a bid and I want to submit it to you for a project, and, and let's assume that I have the right... Um, you know, general experience for the project. What is it that I could put in my bid package to make your job easier and therefore increase the likelihood that I get picked for this job? What are some of the things you like to see? Yeah, so we definitely want to see a, a an understanding of the project, first and foremost, that they've done the homework, they, they, they know the logistics, they know the municipality, um, they know what it's going to take to staff and stage the job, right? Are there parking, you know, issues? Are there, um, you know, t is the building occupied or not, right? There's the general base understanding of the project. And, um, and, and let me interject. So how do you see that in the bid, right? So I'm guessing like it's a job on Miami Beach sandwiched between buildings and they don't have parking in their bid. I'm guessing that's a red flag for you, right? Yeah, and, and, and it's almost never, when you say a bid, just like a, like a blind bid, there's a lot of conversation that goes in these things, right? So first, we're qualifying the GCs to make sure that they're interested. Then we're talking to them about the project. They're submitting RFIs. They're, they're demonstrating an interest. They're doing site visits that they really, you know, it's a big commitment. It's a long engagement, typically, for these jobs. And um, we want to make sure that everybody is going into it with the intent that this is going to be a successful relationship, not just throwing numbers out there. And, you know, for the type of work that, that we do and the scale and size of these projects, I think that's not too much to ask. Um, we're not asking usually for the most part to, you know, do a full, you know, month long bidding exercise with multiple subcontractors. It's more about those things, right? A demonstration of eagerness to do the work and understanding of the project and that 
that contractor understands their own workload and backlog and that they are, you know, have the ability to perform on the project if they're awarded. So it's, it's really about matching up because I, I look, I understand the contractors not knowing um, what the market may hold and projects get canceled and, you know, you want to have more work than, you know, you don't want to be without work. So I understand that, but um, you know, for the most part, when a client hires us, they're spending money with the intent of moving forward. They're not just spinning anybody's wheels. And so, you know, for that point, we, we assume that if someone's replying to an S or an RFP that we put out there, that there's a full intent that that project's going to go forward and that GC should be able to perform if awarded. So um, as far as the bid goes, like the information, I, I understand it's kind of a, a back and forth. Do you want to see, um, you know, resumes and CVs of the project team. Is that important to you? Absolutely. Or is- yeah. That, that would be the biggest strength. I think if somebody can demonstrate a, you know, a clear understanding of the scope, a team that has experience in similar projects, either, either working together or not, but they've demonstrated an ability to perform on certain types of projects um, with good industry references. And yeah, that's what we're looking for. And that would really give somebody a leg up, um, you know, other than just numbers, because at the end of the day, you know, if, if, if the, if the bids are leveled properly and they're being qualified, the numbers really should be comparable. To so it's other. really, it's really not about the number, right? I mean, you know, you're, you're not looking and, and your owners are not looking for the lowest bid. Within right? reason, right? So a lot of the work that we'll do is, um, you know, like I said, it's fees, general conditions, and, you know, some qualifications. So we're comparing those things. So if somebody, obviously, you know, numbers always matter. If somebody's looking for a much higher fee, um, then yes, of course that matters, but we'll want to have a conversation with the firm we want to work for. And then it's going to come down to project costs, right? So we're we're typically wanting to see a rough order of magnitude. So a general understanding of the, of what the project range of, 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 uh, of costs will be. And, and then a verification of that through a, you know, a formal subcontractor bid process. So I think in answer to your question, yes, numbers matter, but that's based on the assumption that, you know, we're, we're looking at a, a leveled project cost and that every GC is able to get, you know, comparable numbers on pricing. It's really about if everything gets leveled and the team is doing the right job, um, it should be about who's the best fit. Right. Who's right. the best fit in the right at the right time? And that's, uh, you know, that's an important piece. So what do you what did what are some of the things you see in a bid package or a submission that you find to be or your team finds to be extraneous, useless, a distraction? I mean, are there some things that that you see that people are including in their bids that just really don't matter? Well, I think it's some of the exclusions also, right? The qualifications, what's excluded from the numbers that force us to, you know, add things back in, um, you know, just holding allowances for things that really, you know, they, they should have real numbers essentially when they're in that kind of a, like a, like a lump sum situation. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that if there's a, if there's a real understanding of, of where the numbers are, or if they want to, you know, add some things in there, that there should be some conversation about that, you know, in advance. And I don't like just to not have a, an ongoing dialogue with contractors. If they're not asking questions, if they're not, you know, having a, a discussion, this is going to be a long relationship, as we said before. And we want to start right from the front in, in working together. Another point, by the way, is, um, 
you know, this is more of a soft intangible, but it's personality and demeanor. Um, you know, you want to have people who are your partners essentially in a project who you can have a professional disagreement with that, you know, nobody, you know, we've all been in meetings where people get hot and bang the table or whatever that is. Um, and a lot of times that's not helpful. We're all doing the same work. We all have the same goal. Um, we're going to disagree and let's find partners that we're going to be able to do that with in a, in a productive way and still, you know, be able to move forward in the project. So I, I guess, you know, in answer to your question, there's a lot of softer type things that aren't just black and white as it relates to uh, selection. It's not just always about the numbers. Well, you know, a lot of that would come from the relationship, meaning, you know, you, you feel more comfortable with someone that you've had an opportunity to build a relationship with. So if I'm, you know, I have experience, but I've never done work with, with Amicon or any specific um, general contractor in town and I'm, I'm, or owner, and I want to try to make an impression and, and get my foot in the door. What is the best way that you would recommend for someone to be able to do that? Well, in a, in a, and you're saying in a bid environment, if we've approached them for work or if they're just looking to get on a list for, you know. For yeah, just to get on the list. I think it's it's important for people to know clearly what they excel in, right? So I always ask contractors, you know, they say, oh, what do you do? Well, I do everything. Well, nobody does everything well. And for example, like if we're selecting someone for a luxury residential home, custom home, that's different than someone who may build spec homes and vastly different for someone who builds, you know, uh, track homes and townhouses and even more different than someone who does commercial work. Right. Just as an example, sure. um, contractors who do, you know, specialize in retail and TI are different than contractors who do, you know, ground up work or warehouses or other things. So for us, we want to identify people as to what is your best you know, market sector, what is your wheelhouse? What do you consistently do? What are you best at? And that allows us to put them in a, in a place that when we have those types of projects that we go to those types of firms. Um, so I, I think to be a generalist sometimes isn't the best thing, you know, when we're looking for someone. Also size and scale, we know certain contractors who excel over 20 million or 50 million or 80 million or whatever that is. And some are better at $2 million build outs. Um, so I think it's very important to be self-aware and know yourself and what you're, what you're best at in terms of performance. So if, uh, so if I'm, if I'm a contractor, I, I shouldn't try to be all things to all people. I should pick a lane and, and stay in it and just really hone that, that area. So someone recognizes me as the expert in that field, right? Yeah. Unless you have, unless you have a, a division or, you know, a very specific, uh, you know, experience in certain things. And sometimes it takes a while to get an education. If somebody specializes in, I don't know, healthcare or fitness centers or, or some specific thing that they may have done recently, well, then, you know, that's something that they may, they may want to put forward as part of their portfolio as to what they excel in. But, you know, I, we're in the business of offering experiences and service to clients, right? So it's not, they're not buying a product off the shelf. They're buying service from the contractor, from an owner's rep firm, from, you know, all of us in the industry and, and, and attorneys and like, like you. So what is going to allow us to give that client the best experience? And I think a lot of times that gets missed by the industry in terms of, you know, what is the client experience? What are we going to do as a, as a group to offer the best collaborative experience for the client? Not just about what's best for, you know, just 
packing up your, you know, your backlog with work. Um, so that's the approach that we typically take from the starting point. So it sounds like all of this packaged together, um, while the number is important and that you're within the range, the goal is to do as much as possible to convince you and therefore the client that you're going to get this job done with the least amount of headaches possible, right? With the best fit, right? So that at the end of the day, what does every what does a client want? They, they construction is not an industry that's known for a high level of uh, you know client satisfaction and experience, right? You think about all these industries that you know uh, people spend a lot of money in, and to go into it expecting typically that wow, I'm going to have a bad experience. I'm going to fight with my contractor, and you know it's it's not a fun thing, right? That's why. Um, you know, Uber was able to disrupt the taxi cab industry. I mean, there's, there's parts of industries that, you know, you're expecting bad experiences. So our goal is to try and offer that best client experience possible. And that starts with finding the best fit from a, you know, a service provider as a, as a contractor. So who is able to really service, because the cost may be very similar at that point, right? So if you're able to look at it, you know, if all the numbers are equal or close to equal, or even if it's a little bit more, who are you going to have the best experience with? And where is that client going to have the, the easiest uh, process to go through? Right. Makes sense. It makes sense. And, and in your business, that's what you're hired for, right? You're hired is to, to make sure that the client has the best experience and gets the job um, done ideally on time and on budget. So um, it's incumbent upon you to make sure that you give, uh, you, you know, you do your job to make sure that the best fit is uh, selected. Yeah. And if we're going to, if we're going to make a recommendation that for whatever reason, isn't the lowest number, but there's obviously some always, you know, some uh, gray area there too. Um, you know, for a massive increase, right. Numbers always matter. Every client is focused on budget and we understand that, but um, you know, as close as you can get to things being equal, what is that going to lean, you know, lead to down the line? And everybody understands this, right? The potential for change orders, the potential for delays, um, so in the end, what is that client going to remember, whether it was a good experience or, or a bad experiences, you know, were they treated fairly? Was the process professional? Um, if there were issues that come up, cost issues or, or, or uh, delays that they were handled in, a, in an organized professional manner that wasn't, you know, um, you know haphazard and urgent and, and was there fighting between the team? All of those things matter, I think, when it comes down to a project experience. And our job is to predict those things in advance. I mean, even right now, as you know, what's going on in the world with supply chain issues, right? So are there contractors who are more creative in, in a way that they're forecasting how to um, pre-order things and have thought through the storage of those items? And um, all of those things matter when they play into, um, you know, having a quality client experience or with a contractor. And I'm guessing it's those little things. I mean, again, uh, price escalation, supply chain issues. Um a proactive contractor who approaches you with creative ideas on ways to solve those problems probably has a leg up on everybody else that's being considered. A hundred percent. You're a hundred percent right. And, and, and if they can demonstrate those things, um, I might even venture to say that that contractor is worth a little more, you know, but uh, all things being equal, the numbers are equal, let's say. Um, that's the firm that you want to work with. And on top of that, you know, they demonstrate that they have the bandwidth, the capacity, they're interested in the project. They've got, you know, a, a 
a team and a, a mindset that starts from the top, which is, you know, problem solving instead of just, hey, here's a bunch of problems. Um, you know, that's what we're looking for. Now, we don't always get every box checked. Um, and, and you're always taking some leap of faith at some point. And there's issues that happen on every project. It's a question of how we deal with them as a team. And we're of the mindset that, you know, as we're building a project team, and every team is different, right? Every team has its own personality and every project is unique in its own way. But we really want to work collaboratively. And how do we have, you know, if things get rough, how do we have a reset meeting to kind of figure out, okay, how we're going to work best together? And is there turnover or if there are revisions, how do we then sit down and do a plan turn to get everybody on the same page? It's about, you know, um, just a lot of it is common sense if you think about it. But what happens in this industry is everybody gets busy. Everybody's looking to the next job and, you know, there's turnover and, and you can see how issues happen and projects that are set up for success can can sometimes go off the rails. So it really starts with a professional organization that understands those things and is able to forecast them. So, Adam, if folks that are listening have questions about what we talked about or want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, they can certainly email. They can email me. Um, we have uh, you know, info at amicon.us or I'm, I'm happy to share my email address personally. Um, and, uh, you know, if somebody wants to offer their portfolio or they think they have a particular skill set and want to get on some our, our bidders list, we're, you know, we're available for that as well. Perfect. Adam, I really appreciate you taking the time and ex- uh, explaining how Amicon does what it does um, to educate our audience. Um, so thank you again. Anytime. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Uh, Everybody, thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. We'll see you next time.